Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafin anbiya'i wal mursalin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima 'allamtana wa 'allimna ma yanfa'una. Warzuqna imman tanfa'una bih. Amin rabbil alamin. Alhamdulillah thumma alhamdulillah. Uh, we are currently tonight uh, well, tonight we are going to complete our third risalah insha'Allah ta'ala before we enter our book I think I mentioned I made, made a mistake last week but before we enter our book Thalathatul uh, Usul bi'idnillahi ta'ala last week and the week before we had some important discussions we spoke about al-wala wal-bara um, you know loving and hating for the sake of Allah your allegiance and your disallegiance for the sake of Allah azza wa jal and last week we spoke about the most important obligation in our religion. The most important commandment and instruction in our religion, which is to worship Allah Azza wa Jal alone. To, to single Allah Azza wa Jal out in worship. And we spoke about the way of the Hanifiyyah, the Millah of Ibrahim, the religion and the way of Ibrahim alayhi salam um, and his methodology which was to simply devote oneself completely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to turn away from everything and to live a life of devotion to our maker and our creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The author tonight, he carries on and he says, وَأَعْظَمُ مَا نَهَا عَنْهُ الشِّرْكِ And he says, the greatest thing that, or the greatest, of, uh, the greatest prohibition is a shirk. أَعْظَمُ مَا نَهَا عَنْهُ Out of all of the things, that have been or that has been prohibited in our Sharia, in our religion, the greatest of all these prohibitions is a shirk. There is nothing worse in the Sharia than shirk. The greatest thing that has been prohibited in the Quran and in the Sunnah is to commit shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means to associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either in his rububiyyah, which means either in Allah's lordship. Which means, for example, you claim that there's another creator, or there's another provider, or you claim that there is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a partner. For example, he has a son. وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ عُزَيْرٌ ibn اللَّهِ وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ الْمَسِيحُ ibn اللَّهِ The Jews, they said that Uzair is the son of Allah, whereas the Christians said that Isa, Jesus, is the son of Allah. However, as Muslims, we completely reject this. Because we do not associate anything with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We believe that he is one and unique and he has la sharika lah. He has no partner unto him. No equivalent, no son, no assistant, no helper, nothing. And shirk can also take place in worship. Which is tawheed al-uluhiyya. Where we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Because he is our creator and because he is our Rabb. He is the one who takes care of our needs and assists us and helps us. He guides us and protects us. And He created us in the first place. He brought us into existence from nothing. We were nothing just a few years ago. Not even something that was mentioned, the Quran says. Allah brought us into existence and He gave us whatever we have of favors and bounties and mercies. For this reason, we say He is the only one that is worthy of our worship, of our servitude, of our ibadah, of our submission. And this is what we call Tawheed of worship. But unfortunately, many fall into shirk in worship, where they worship partners with Allah, where they worship others besides Allah or others alongside Allah. 
but this is the greatest prohibition. Likewise, we can have shirk in matters of asma'i wa sifat, the names and attributes of Allah, and that is when we equate others to Allah, where we give them the attributes of Allah, where we give them the perfect and beautiful names of Allah, and so forth. This is a form of shirk in matters of Allah's names and attributes. Because those perfect attributes, those beautiful names, they belong to Allah alone. And nobody is deserved of them besides Him. The moment we give this to anybody, we attribute this to anybody or anything, then unfortunately one falls into to major shirk. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. وَالشِّرْكُ بِاللَّهِ أَعْظَمُ مِنْ قَتْلِ النَّفْسِ Shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worse than killing a person. It is worse than stealing. It is worse than zina. It is the worst of all sin. And it is the greatest of fasad on the, in this dunya. The greatest fasad out of all the corruption and evil in this world, the greatest of it is partnership with Allah. Is associating partners with Allah. Is worshipping other than Allah. There is nothing that is great, worse than this. And there is no saviour for any of the slaves of Allah except by worshipping Him alone. Except by turning unto Him alone. Except by following that path of Ibrahim alayhi salam. That Hanifiyyah which we spoke about last week. Um, may Allah make us of them. Ameen. Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah he said wabil jumla فالشرك والدعوة إلى غير الله وإقامة معبود غيره أو مطاع متبع غير الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم هو أعظم الفساد في الأرض. He said that in a nutshell, shirk and calling unto other than Allah, du'a, da'wa, calling unto asking other than Allah and setting up gods or deities besides him or things that are worshipped besides him. Or obedience or following anyone besides the messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is the greatest of fasad in this world. There is no fasad that's more evil and more uh, corrupt than this. And likewise, he said there is nothing that can rectify these affairs, these corruption, and for its people, except that they were to worship Allah subhanahu wa taala alone and make him the only one that they worship. And the only one that they call upon, that they make dua unto, that they supplicate unto. And the only one that they follow and obey, the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because this is in reality, if we think about what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is saying, this is what our kalima stands for. This is exactly what shahadatu Allah ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah stands for. We all know our five pillars of Islam. Our pillars that our, that our religion is built upon. The main pillar, the first pillar, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in the hadith, narrated by Abdullah ibn, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, buni al-Islam ala khams. He said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Islam has been, has been built upon five pillars. Shahadatu an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadur rasulullah. Number one, and the scholars have mentioned that picture a tent, picture a massive tent. And you've got pillars that hold this tent up and are supporting the tent. 
But in the middle of this tent, there's a prop. There's a, a prop, which is the main pillar. If you were to take that center piece out, the, the, the pillar that's right in the middle out, no matter what pillars you have on the side, nothing will hold that structure up. That structure is going to fall. That tent is going to fall. And this is the likeness that the scholars have mentioned of the shahada. That the shahadatain are two testimonies of faith. This is the like. This is the example of that compared to the other pillars. Without that belief that there is none worthy of worship except Allah and that we reject any other ma'bud, anything that is worshipped besides Allah, we completely disassociate ourselves from that and we only acknowledge Allah as our, as our deity that we worship and that, that we believe is worthy of worship. And our second pillar or the second Part of the shahada is that we believe that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger and his slave. His final messenger and his slave. He's not a partner of Allah. Muhammad is not a partner of Allah. He's a slave of Allah. He's a servant of Allah. He is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is what holds our religion up. After that, we've got the other pillars that we have to establish to keep our religion firm, to keep our religion standing, the pillars of Islam, iqam salah establish salah, wa'atu zakah and wa'ita zakah and to pay the zakah, wal-hajj, wa'sawmi Ramadan, and to perform hajj, and to fast the month of Ramadan, right? But the most important is the main pillar, and this is what it stands for. This is what it is, that we have one ilah that we worship, one God, one deity that we worship, and we reject anything that is worshipped besides him. And that we have one messenger that we follow. One prophet that we follow. Now, what this means is, we of course know that part of our belief as Muslims is that we believe in all of the prophets. Yes, we believe in all of the prophets and the messengers. But the prophet that we follow in terms of following his teachings... Right? Then for the most part that comes to the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, Teachings that have reached us from the other Prophets That is authentic and that is found in the Quran Of course we will follow this as well But we will not create any other messenger after him We will not have any other man after these Prophets And especially after Rasulullah That we will follow This is what our Shahada dictates The moment we go against the Shahada Then we are falling into something, something serious Something, something major, and the greatest of all sin, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is disobeyed with, is shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said in Surah Al-Luqman, Indeed, shirk is the worst of oppression. Shirk is the worst of wrong. It's the worst of transgression. It's the worst of all sin. And this ayah, there is, there is a reason that this ayah was revealed. And there's a story behind this ayah. In another verse in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions and he says, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِيمَانَهُمْ بِظُلْمٍ أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الْأَمْنُ وَهُمْ مُهْتَدُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that those who believe and those who have true Iman, they worship Allah alone. And they do not mix that Iman with Dhulm. 
They do not mix that Iman with Zulm, Allah says. Now the word Zulm means a wrongdoing. It means a wrong. It means a transgression or an oppression. So they do not mix their Iman with any wrong or oppression or transgression. For them, Allah says, Lahumul Amn. For them, there is safety and security. And for them, they will be rightly guided. For them, they will be rightly guided. When the Sahaba heard this ayah, they were concerned. Sahaba were a bit worried. And they went to the Prophet وسلم, and they said to him, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, who from amongst us can be free from zulm? Which one from amongst us can possibly say that he is free from any wrongdoing? Because the ayah said, those who do not mix their belief with wrong, with dhulm. So they said, Ya Rasulullah, who from amongst us can possibly be free from wrong? We are all in our own way sinners. So this ayah concerned them. They felt they are not part of this ayah. These people that Allah is saying, they will be rightly guided and they will have safety and security. The Prophet wasallam upon this, he clarified what's meant by dhulm in this ayah. What is meant by this ayah? He said, Then he revealed this ayah that we are speaking about. And he said, Allah said, Indeed, shirk is the worst of all zulm. That is the most serious of zulm. So what is meant by this verse? What's meant by the verse is, Those people who truly believe in Allah and do not mix that belief with shirk. For them, they will have safety and they will be rightly guided. This is what the ayah says. And so Sahaba will put at ease by this. Knowing that if they stay away from major shirk and minor shirk, they worship Allah alone, they'll have these sins. Not to belittle the sins either, but the point is, the ayah is saying, do not mix your belief with shirk. And there's a very subtle another point that we can raise here, and that is, just because we believe in Allah does not mean that we are safe from shirk. And there's a major misconception that is happening out in the world today from certain scholars and certain groups and so forth, where they say, as long as you believe in Allah, you cannot fall into shirk. And there's a misconception that they share, which says that the Muslims can't fall into shirk because they claim that the ummah has been saved from shirk. But the ayah clearly tells us that there will be people who will mix their iman with zulm, meaning with shirk. Subhanallah. So that means there will be people who believe in Allah. They believe Allah is their creator. They believe Allah is their provider and their sustainer and their nourisher. They believe that Allah is the one who's in control of everything. But how have they mixed this belief with shirk? It's because they ended up worshipping other than Allah. It's because perhaps they worshipped through something to get to Allah. When they made dua, they did not say, Ya Allah. They said, Ya Rasulullah, help us. They said, Ya uh, Abdul Qadir Jilani, O Abdul Qadir Jilani, the great scholar that he was, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. But they make dua to him, or via him, or to, through this saint, and through that saint, and through this sheikh, and through that sheikh, and so forth. But this is dua which is not being directed to Allah alone. And so even though these people have some form of iman in Allah, they are mixing their iman with shirk. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is warning us against. And this is what he is saying is going to happen. But then, inna shirk ala azim. We should be aware and know that shirk is the worst of oppression. There is no wrong that's worse than this. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said. 
Masuk ila Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam ayyu dhanbi a'dham and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was asked which sin is the worst what is the greatest sin that we can fall into and he said an taj'ala lillahi niddan wa huwa khalaqak he said it is to associate a partner with allah to make a partner with allah yet he is the one who created you knowing that allah is your creator and you still worship other than him knowing that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who made you and brought you into existence but you still worship other than him you put your trust in other than him you fear other than him you make dua to other than him you make sujood to other than him ruku' to other than him prostration and bowing and so forth you sacrifice animals for other than allah yet you know that he is the one who created you this is what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said is the worst of all sin is nothing worse than this ayyu dhanbi a'dham ya rasulullah what's the worst of all sin he said it's to have a partner with allah yet he is the one who created you and this hadith is in bukhari and muslim waqala an-nabiy sallallahu alaihi wasallam ala unabbi'ukum bi akbar al-kaba'ir shall i not inform you the prophet then said in another hadith shall i not inform you of what is the most severe of sin or the worst of all sin or the biggest of the sins qulna bala ya rasulullah they said indeed ya rasulullah o messenger of allah tell us qala al ishraq billah wa uquq al walidain he said it's to associate partners with allah and to be disobedient to one's parents there's nothing worse than this this is the biggest and the most serious of sin to ishraq billah meaning shirk with allah to associate partners with allah and secondly to be disobedient to one's parents this is the worst of sin as the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said in this in this hadith so committing shirk with allah destroy destroys one's iman it destroys one's belief and one's deeds this is why one of the one of the consequences of shirk that when we fall into major shirk and major shirk means you are worshiping other than allah or you've likened something to allah in the terms of his names and attributes or you claim that he has a partner or a son or uh, an equal and so forth any form any example of this is a, an example of major shirk this is the consequences of this is that all of the good that a person does will be nullified it will be rendered as invalid allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said لَإِنْ أَشْرَكْتَ لَيَحْبَطَنَّ عَمَلُكَ وَلَا تَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ He said, if you were to commit an act of shirk, we will, that will nullify your deeds. <coughs> it will render your deeds invalid and null and void. And you will certainly be of the losers. You will certainly be from amongst the losers. This is what the Quran tells us in Surah Al-Zumar. So from the consequences of major shirk, is that all of the good deeds that a person has done, it is rendered as null and void so sometimes you may think but this guy does so much good this guy makes so much uh, sadaqah and he's on hajj every year and he's apparently making qiyamul layl every night and he's fasting every other day and he seems to be the best of people he does so much good but at the same time you see the man standing and teaching people or standing at the grave sites and standing here standing there saying yeah, so and so, help us. Oh, Fulan, help us. Oh, 
this saint help us. Oh, that saint guide us. Oh, this one protect us. He's fallen into major shirk. Major shirk. And this has rendered all of that good that you may have seen from him as invalid as the Quran says. Wallahu musta'an. Shirk is su'udhan yurabbin alameen. And this is a very, very powerful point that Shaykh Muslim Al-Qasim mentions. Shaykh Muslim Al-Qasim is the, the book that we're reading from. One who commentates on the book is Imam, Imam of Masjid al-Nabawi. And he says it is su'udhan yurabbin alameen. Meaning, the person has thought ill and, and ill of Allah. He has evil thoughts of Allah. Meaning, he does not know Allah. And wallahi, this is the haqq. Wallahi, this is the haqq. Any person who worships other than Allah does not know Allah. Any person that calls upon other than Allah does not know Allah. He has not given Allah his due haqq and his due right. He has belittled Allah and he has made Allah like the creation. He has literally belittled Allah and brought Allah down to the level of creation. And to this day we hear the worst of analogies. To this day, we hear people making the worst of analogies. And this shows that they don't know their Rabb. This shows how they belittle Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will tell you, just like you cannot go to the king or the president of your country directly, you have to go through this channel and that channel to reach him. Because he is too high up for you to reach. Right? You are... You know, low down in society, you're just an ordinary person. You can't go straight to the president of the country. You have to find some, some middleman, uh, like a minister or somebody that is a, a politician or somebody with some status that can possibly get you to him if you want your request to reach him. Right? So they take this worldly example and they make it. They liken it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they say the only way that you can reach Allah, Allah is too far above. He's too high up and too perfect. And you are too much of a sinner. The only way that your dua will reach him and your request will reach him is if you go via some saint who is of a higher level. He's on a higher status. So he will take your request and elevate it up to Allah. And this is how it will reach Allah. So they equate. And this is the analogy that they come with. This is why we say this is su'udhan bi rabbil alameen. They have now made Allah like a president, like a king. Like these sinners, people who are people, slaves of Allah. They make Allah like as if Allah is not as sami' As if Allah is not the all-hearing. As if Allah is not al-qareeb, the close one, the one who's nearest to us. As if Allah is not the one who said, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ إِذَا دَعَانِ as if Allah did not say, and when my slave asks you about me, informing that I am close. I am the one who answers the call of the supplicant. I am the one who responds to him. Subhanallah. Yet we, we, we find these type of analogies. This is why we say, Anybody who can mistreat with Allah, he does not know Allah. Anybody that mistreat with Allah has belittled Allah and he thinks evil of Allah. And he has... Equated Allah with, with the creation. This is the only way a person can fall into shirk. The only way. Because no matter how much of a sinner a person is, the moment that sinner raises his hands and he says, Ya Rabb, Allah is listening. And Allah is willing to respond. No matter how much of a sinner we are, 
Allah is the one who is willing to forgive our sins. Let nobody say to you that if you are on a certain level of sin, you have to ask via those who are on a higher level. This is the same belief Islam came to abolish. This is the type of shirk Islam came to destroy and nullify. We believe that Allah, He answers the call of all of His slaves. The one who called Simple Allah says, I am the one who answers the call of the supplicant. So respond to me and believe in me and then you'll be rightly guided so that you can be rightly guided. Subhanallah. Simple. Islam is simple. You have creator, you have creation. Creation, we worship the creator and that's it. Simple. This is Islam. We recite this every salah. You alone do we worship. And you alone do we seek assistance from. Ask for help. This is Islam. If you ask, ask Allah. If you seek help, seek it from Allah. It's a hadith of the Prophet wasallam. So, this is the worst of prohibitions. This is the worst thing that a person can fall into. And this is the main thing that Islam came. And all of the prophets came with the same message to destroy this type of, um, this type of ideologies and this type of avenues of misguidance. Anything that leads to these uh, avenues should also be cut off to avoid and to, to, peop- to keep people you know, as far away from shirk as possible, inshallah. Then the author said, An example of the shirk that, that is the worst of all sins is to call upon other than him. Is to make dua to other than him. Is to ask of other than him. Is to raise your hands, for example, and you're asking and you're making dua to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or you create an intermediary between yourself and Allah. You create what? An intermediary. You believe I'm not. I'm not going to ask Allah directly. I'll ask via this person who will ask Allah. This is still shirk. Because the worship must be directly to Allah. It is still an act of major shirk. And the Quran affirms this as shirk. This ayat Allah affirms as shirk and we're going to get to these things in more detail, inshallah, each one in more detail and so forth. Right? So any of these, you know, worship in general, dua, sacrificing, um, taking a vow, ruku, sujood, all of these things are examples of worship. When it's done for other than Allah, it's an act of major shirk. Equating Allah or doing something that's supposed to be done only for Allah, like worship and servitude, doing it for anything else besides Allah, this is all examples of major shirk. Whoever dies upon shirk, what does the Qur'an tell us? The Qur'an says, this person will be deserved of a hellfire and he will be prohibited from paradise. He will be prohibited from paradise. إِنَّهُ مَا يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ Allah, he says, indeed, the one who commits an act of shirk with Allah, any act of shirk with Allah, major shirk, yes, is what's, what's more referred to, then Allah has made paradise forbidden for him, made it haram for him. And his abode will be the fire. And there will be no assistance or helper, helpers for the for these wrongdoers, for the zalimeen. Uh, uh, right? So this is what the Quran tells us. That the act of shirk is so serious and major, Allah says, if you fall into this, then Jannah has become prohibited for you. And just to try to rationalize this, 
In a hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to us, he said to Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, and he said to him, "O oh, Mu'adh, do you know what the right of Allah is over the slave, and what the slave's right is over Allah?" And he said, "Ya Rasulullah, Allah and the Messenger know best." And the Prophet he said, "The right of Allah over the slave is that the slave worships Him alone. That's Allah's haq. That's His right over us." That is what he deserves as the creator and the provider and the only Rabb. This is what he deserves. The moment we fall into shirk, this is why shirk is a type, of, a type of oppression because you are taking the rights of Allah away. You are taking the right of Allah away and giving it to something that is not deserved of it. You are taking it and giving it to taking it away from the one who deserves it and giving it to something or someone that does not deserve it. And nothing deserves the worship, our worship, except, except the Creator, except our Creator. This is why it's called ghulm. It's a form of oppression and wrongdoing and transgression. And we are, we are wronging the King of all kings, the Lord of, all, of the worlds, the, world, the Lord of all that exists. We are wronging Him when we are doing We are trying, taking His haq away. Yet we know He's not harmed in any way. This doesn't belittle Him this doesn't take away from his greatness in any way, no. But still, it shows the sin of the person so severe that he's taking away the haq of his creator and giving it to something and somebody else who does not deserve it. And then the Prophet, he said that the one or this, the, the haq of the slave over Allah, can we possibly have a right over Allah? The Prophet said, the one who does not or the one who worships Allah alone, and he stays away from matters of shirk then Allah will not punish him. This is his right. That if you can live by the greatest obligation, which is to worship Allah alone and avoid the greatest prohibition, which is shirk with Allah, then Allah will not punish you. Subhanallah. This is like how to, enter, how to be guaranteed paradise is to stick to this. Is to maintain a tawheed with Allah and to stay as far away from shirk as possible. To end off, the author said, "What Dalilu Qawluhu Taala is evidence for the statements that he made of. He said the greatest prohibition is shirk, and for example, it is to call upon other than Him. He said that the evidence is Wa'abudullaha wa shay'a. Allah, He said, and worship Allah alone, and do not associate any partners with Him, and do not associate any partners with Him. This is one. Obviously, this is one of the examples uh, that the author could have mentioned amongst many, many others. But as we said, we will go through bi you know, throughout this book, speak about certain acts of worship um, and so forth, along with its evidences and, and, and so forth. So this is the end of tonight's lesson. Um, next week, we will definitely officially start Usul Thalatha, insha'Allah ta'ala. So before we wrap up, if there's any questions, we will answer if possible. Bismillah. Why, why does it say Abu Sa'ara in brackets? Uh, I didn't actually uh, uh, type it out. Uh, well, obviously, my name is not Abu Sa'ara. My kunya is Abu Sa'ara. My name is Imran. And that's my surname, Mulaji. But my kunya is Abu Sa'ara. So kunya is like a nickname that we use. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to use it for his sahaba and so forth. They were called certain names. Um, Abu means the father of Sarah, if that's a child, for example, like my daughter is Sarah. Um, 
So any person who has a child, they can be Abu, the father of whoever is the eldest child, usually is used. Um, and, and even then, a person can have a kunya, even if they're not married, even if they don't have children. This is established in the Sunnah, the Prophet Sallallahu used to call, um, he mentioned to a boy, one day he was playing with a little bird, and he said to him, Ya Aba Umair, ma fa'alan nughair, and the bird had actually died. And he said to him, Oh Abu Umair, what did the nughair do? You know, uh, just an example, he called the boy by Abu Umair. Um, Abu Hurairah is a nickname, which means the father of the kittens. His name is actually Abdul Rahman, um, and so forth. There's many examples of this. Abu Qasim is Rasulullah. He is the father of Al Qasim, his eldest son. That's his nickname. His kunya is Abu Qasim. And many of the Sahaba had these type of nicknames, as well as the scholars. Abu Abbas, Mathalan, is Sheikh Islam Taymiyyah, is known as Abu Abbas, and so forth. And so forth. So this is just something that people use at times. It's not compulsory, but it's something good, inshallah, and Allah knows best. Can I have a party if I finish memorize the Quran? I'm afraid of some shirk. No problem at all. That's something, uh, it's a good thing to celebrate, of course. Somebody finishes the Quran, memorize the Quran, your child finished the qaida, went into the Quran, your child finished the Quran. Bismillah, you know, have a celebration. Celebrate, it's something good, something khair. Um, but of course, have a halal celebration. There will be no muharramat, no haram involved. Right? I'm afraid from shirk, there will be no shirk in celebration. You're just celebrating something very good, some, a great achievement, no problem. As long as the celebration is free from haram, number one. And number two, it does not have to be an act of worship. Right? And also... Don't make it an Eid. Huh? What's an Eid? An Eid is a, a, a celebration that repeats itself. Like we have two Eids in Islam. The Prophet said we have two Eids in Islam. Eid al-Adha and Eid al-Fitr. But why is it called an Eid? It's a day of celebration that repeats itself annually. We also have a weekly Eid in Islam. It's a day of Jumu'ah. Why is it weekly? It repeats weekly. That's what Eid means that which repeats itself. Right? Either weekly or monthly or annually and so forth. So if you want to have a celebration, Bismillah, make it halal, no muharramat involved, no forbidden matters involved, but don't have it every single year and say, okay, on this day I finished, on the 1st of December I finished my hifz. So every year, the 1st of December, I'm going to have a celebration. Now it becomes an Eid and then it becomes an innovation in the deen of Allah, a bid'ah. The same with birthdays, the same with mawlids. Why is these things not permissible? Become, one of the reasons is it becomes an Eid, which repeats itself over and over and over. And then that becomes a form of innovation and all of those best. If a person is drunk and they said uh, talaq, is that one talaq accepted? Um, if the person is not at his senses, if the person is not at his senses and he utters something, then he is like a, a person who is majnoon. He's like a person who is crazy and he is overlooked. He's, he's, it will be overlooked. It will not count as a talaq. The reason being, similarly, the hadith, the Prophet mentioned the person who becomes extremely angry. He becomes extremely angry and he gives a talaq in extreme rage, for example. In this case, the talaq does not count. So the scholars differed over the, for example, the talaq of an angry person. If the person's anger is there, but he's well aware of what he's saying, he's at his senses, he's in control. And he says, I talaq you, he says to his wife, that the talaq counts. But if he becomes so enraged by something, 
and he's so angry, his blood is boiling, and he's, you know, he just says things without realizing it. And later on, you know, he's not even sure that he said it, but his wife says, but you said me, you gave me the talaq. In this case, because his mind was not present, the talaq would not count. The talaq would not count. And one, I actually saw to a case once where a youngster gave a talaq, and he said to me, Wallahi, I have no recollection of it because he was so angry at the time. Yet, when he calmed down, his wife was crying. She said, but you, you divorced me. He said, no, I didn't. She said, you divorced me. He said, I didn't. She, but the thing is, he was so angry, he did not even know what he said. In a case like this, we say that the talaq does not count and Allah knows best. This comes in hadith as well. Um, so if the person is drunk, and he gives a talaq in this case where he is not at his senses, then the talaq does not count and Allah knows best. The follow-up question would be that if three talaqs were given at different times over the year in the drunken state, would this be accepted? If not, would 10 years apart be accepted as a divorce? Um, as we said, it depends on the person's consciousness. If they were there and they said it, it counts. It doesn't count if they, if they were, not, were not conscious, if they were not uh, at their senses when they spoke, it does not count. If they were, it counts. Understand? So whether it's one, two or three over time, the point is it depends on the level of consciousness that, that they were in when they uttered the talaq. Would 10 years apart be accepted as a divorce? No. No, even if people live apart for many years, that does not count as a talaq. And Allah knows best. Creed question, Allah spoke to the burning bush. Allah enter creation. The question was asked me while I was giving the hours. The question was, Allah does not enter creation. Allah does not enter. Allah is free from his creation. Um, and so he does not enter creation. Uh, the burning bush, I'm not aware of this. Allah knows best. Is it Islamically okay for a Muslim woman to live alone? Um, no, a Muslim woman should not live alone. Um, if there's no reason for this, if there's no, if it's not a necessity, basically, but otherwise she should try and her best to find, um, you know, to live with a family, preferably to live with a mahram, preferably, and so forth. But definitely living alone is not encouraged in Islam. Um, and Allah knows we should at least try to find, you know, a family that you can live with, where, you know, in a halal environment, and so forth, depending on the situation, but you should try her best to um avoid staying alone for various reasons um safety and fitna and uh, various reasons and Allah knows best what about people who say sheikh to do dua for them on their behalf um so if what you mean by the question is you say to somebody uh, make dua for me or don't forget me in your duas and this is no problem because this is not, you are not worshipping that person. You're just making a request. So if you see somebody or if you know somebody that's pious, that you believe is righteous or that you believe is knowledgeable and this person, you, you, you look up to this person and you would like that this person makes a dua for you, there's no problem with this. As long as the person's alive and the person's with you, you know, you're speaking to him, whether it's online, whether it's in person, you say to him, yeah, akhi. My brother, don't forget, you know, make dua for me. Well, you know what? I'm going through difficulty. Make dua for me. There's no problem in this because you are not worshipping that person. The moment that person has died and you say to him and you now start speaking to him as if he can hear, 
as if he is aware, as if he is Allah who hears everything, and so forth, then this becomes an act of shirk. But if the person's alive, he's there, you're speaking to him, you're asking him, you know, um, <clears throat> can we, uh, can we, you know, can you make dua for me and so forth, then there's no problem in this and Allah knows best. Although the best thing is always to make dua for yourself. It's always good to make dua for, um, for yourself. This is the ayah, this is the, the, the asl. But there's no problem in asking, like I said, now and then somebody who's righteous to uh, make dua for you and Allah knows best. Muslim is Krishna still Ahl Kitab today, 21st century, because them is not like before Ahl Kitab today was Isa and Jizah The correct view, and Allah knows best, is the Ahl Kitab is Ahl Kitab. The Christians, the Jews, they are Ahl Kitab. Remember when the Pro- Allah speaks about them in the Quran, Allah knew what they're going to become. Allah knew what they're going to become. And in the time of the Prophet وسلم, they were already upon shirk. They were already upon a form of disbelief. And they were still referred to as Ahlul Kitab. So they are still known as Ahlul Kitab. Even though they have shirk in their belief today, they are still known as the people of the book. Um, is jizya allowed on them? This depends on the state. The, the, the state should should uh, apply the laws of jizya upon them. Again, that, deploy, uh, that is up to the... Um, the Muslim country, wherever they are, and so forth, and Allah knows best. Speak on topic of talaq. What if the person has you arrested and removed, then send an email talaq, says he will pay for it a bit, but doesn't. Is this permanent talaq? Um, the person has you arrested and removed, and send an email talaq. So, again, my understanding of the question is that. Arrested and removed doesn't change anything really in terms of the ruling on talaq. Sends an email, says you, he, he basically talaqs the woman in an email. This would be, this would be valid, right? His intention was, and he sends an email, says, I talaq you, or an SMS, I talaq you, or a WhatsApp message, I talaq you. In this case, it counts as a talaq. He will pay for it that period, but doesn't. Is this permanent talaq? No. If he doesn't, then he has not fulfilled the right of the woman, and he is a sinner for this. Does it make the talaq permanent? Uh, no, right? Again, what's meant by permanent? So obviously we get two types of talaq. You get the talaq that is raj'i and ba'in. Raj'i meaning that um, the talaq, he, he can basically take her back, right? He can basically take his wife back during the idda period. Once the Iddah period ends, which is three menstrual cycles for the for the divorced woman. So she'll have three, she, her Iddah period will be three menstrual cycles. Okay, in that period of time, if it's the first or second talaq, he is allowed to take her back. Okay, this is the right of the husband, he can take her back as his wife. If that period ends, the Iddah the, the, the period ends, then the talaq becomes ba'in, but suhra, meaning it becomes a minor form of irrevocable talaq. So this is now an irrevocable, meaning he can't just take her back, but it's a minor form, which means they can still get married again, but they, it requires a whole new contract. 
So the same way they got married in the first place, they must get married again. Meaning she must be happy to marry him again. Uh, Wali must be there. There must be a maha. There must be witnesses and so forth. There must be a new contract that is drawn up. This is if the Eidah period expires. But if the Eidah period does not expire, he can still take her back as a, as a wife if it's the first or second talaq. So if it, it expires, it becomes irrevocable, but a minor form of irrevocable, meaning he cannot just take her back, but they can get married again. If it is a third talaq, right, then he cannot take her back. Nor with a new act, unless she gets married again in a valid, legitimate way, not for the reason of marrying him again. She gets married to somebody else, and then they get divorced. Her idah expires, then she becomes halal for the first husband again. And Allah knows best. I don't know that answered the question exactly. Um, but I think it did. And Allah knows best. Can we eat brewer's yeast? I don't know. What is brewer's yeast, to be honest? Uh, if it's an intoxicant, then no. If it's, a not, if it's not an intoxicant, then we have to look at, is there any other ingredient that could be haram? I don't know. Allah A'lam. What if the man doesn't want to give talaq but abuses you even up to a point of strangling? Could that be accepted as divorce plus 10 years of separation? 10 years of separation. I don't know where the 10 years of separation comes in. But if the husband is abusive and he refuses to give the talaq, then the wife has two options. Number one, she could go to an authority. So whether if it's in a Muslim country, she should go to a qadi, she go to the courts. If it's a non-Muslim country, um, then she should go to some type of Muslim body or authority that there is. Uh, if she doesn't know, she should approach the local imam and find out where she can go. And she can apply for a fasakh, which is an annulment of the marriage, which is where a third party comes in. He sees the case, like a sheikh would come in, an imam, he would look at the case and see, okay, there's clear abuse here, the husband's abusing his power and so forth, and there's clearly grounds for fasakh. He can then annul that marriage, meaning he takes up the contract and he annuls it, and that marriage is officially done. Okay, it's over. Um, and the, this is not raji, meaning the husband cannot take her back. It's not a talaq, it's not a, a divorce, it's an annulment. So the marriage is over. If they want to get married again, they can get married again, but with a separate new contract and so forth. So this is, this is her option now. She can go to an authority and they can annul the marriage for her. Uh, a third option would be, or another option would be, a khula', which is where she actually pays her way out of, the, out of the marriage. Which is, for example, she gives her mahar back to her husband, or a part of her mahar back to her husband. And she, you know, recompenses him and says, right, I pay you out, I'm out of this marriage, and the marriage is annulled as once again. So then she'll have one iddah period, and she doesn't even have to stay with him in that iddah period. Usually with a talaq, we say the woman's supposed to stay with her husband, with his hope of reconciliation and he has to do nafaqa for her in that time but with an annulment there is she has one idda period but she does not even have to stay with her husband in this time because the marriage is annulled and they cannot reconcile he cannot take her back unless like i said they decide to get married once again with a new contract and allah knows best so this is another option that she has um, and allah azza wa jal knows best Assalamu alaikum, I have pigeons that I find brief for fun as a leisure time. I heard Shadi does not value someone's out. Someone's out who flies pigeons. Please elaborate. This is what out there. Uh, I heard Shadi does not value someone's 
out to flies pigeons. Please elaborate. Can we? Uh, I think it might be mentioned, but it was yeast already. Um, the issue of pigeons breeding them uh, would be permissible, as far as I know, it's permissible on condition that number one, you do not spend unnecessary money doing this, nor do we spend too much time in this. And this is the general principle with any uh, leisure that we have, any games, any sport, and so forth. Right? There shouldn't be a waste of time when we dedicate so much time to this where we're ignoring other things that's more important in ibadat, in Quran, and so forth. Likewise, too much money spending on this is also not permissible. That's why the Prophet forbid, for example, buying uh, a dog and a cat and so forth in a general sense because it's a waste of money. Right? So, again, if there's a need for it, that's something separate. That's permissible, uh, but just to have a pet and for this and for that and for no specific reason, many scholars are permissible. Uh, so in this case, do not waste money on this, nor waste too much time on this. And in that case, it should be permissible and Allah knows best. That answered one of my questions. What was the other question? Um, regarding this from H, do dhikr of Allah's name, Ya Latif, 129 times for seven days, it's promised Allah answers your prayer. Um, this, Barakallahu Fikum, brother or sister H, is not established in the Sharia of Allah, in the Quran or in the Sunnah. It's not established in the Quran or in the Sunnah and it requires evidence. For us to say that if you say this, Allah is promised to answer your dua, there's no evidence for this. This requires an authentic hadith or an ayah of the Quran which does not exist. So do as much dhikr as you want. Make dua, make salah, make uh, recite Quran, etc., etc., and make dua, you know. But to say this specific dhikr is going to guarantee that the, your duas will be accepted, there is no evidence for this. There are other things that we can do from the sunnah. I say, La ilaha illa anta subhanak inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. Certain du'as for um, relief and uh, from hardship and so forth. This is something that you can you can recite as opposed to these type of things, which 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 I know makes its rounds on the internet and from various sources and so forth. Um, but there's no evidence for this and it should be actually be avoided because it becomes an innovation in the religion and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. What I'll do is I'll put a link in the comments for something that I managed to compile, which is recitations for times of distress, worry, and anxiety, which is from the Sunnah, which is authentic. And if you read through it, you'll find there are evidences for all that I've mentioned and compiled, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. Start I want to eat Big Mac McDonald's one day, but one friend says to me, McDonald's, I look at that meat and other friends not allowed. I want to have it because it smells nice, just a try. Uh, uh, look, I would say, we, I don't know where you stay, but your local Muslim authority should go and um, verify whether it's halal or not. That That should be the procedure. So where I am in South Africa, there are certain bodies, they go around to various restaurants and various food places and so forth, and they certify the process that they, these people follow and the meat where they get it from and all these things, and then they make sure it's halal. 
This is what they do, right? If it's not certified, protect your religion and your honor by staying away. If it's certified, bismillah and eat. Allah knows best. What are the rights of a father towards his children after divorce in the financial aspect? Is maintenance of a set amount enough or should he be responsible for all finance? The father is still responsible for the maintenance of his children in the, in the case of a divorce. Um, because he's the father, it's his duty to maintain um, all of their needs. It's his duty to look after them. Um, that is still his responsibility in terms of the sharia and Allah knows best. I think that's all of the answers we've covered. Um, so the link on screen is the link, like I mentioned, for distress, worry, hardship, difficulty, anxiety. Take it, you know, read through it. You can read these du'as anytime. They are du'as that the Prophet taught us to recite in times of, you know, hardship and, and distress and worry and anxiety and so forth. Read through them, see what the Prophet said about them, learn them. Recite them as often as you can, um, as much as you can, whenever you want to. There's no, um, there's no restrictions. You know, you don't need wudu. You don't. You do, aura doesn't have to be covered. Nothing and so forth. And Allah knows best. The way forward decides to contact Sharia office to confirm the divorce. Like I said, I don't know in the UK how things work in the UK. Okay, again, I say I would say go to the Muslim authority if there is and take it, let them handle the case. That's how it should be done. Depending on how it happens in the UK, I'm, again, I don't know the exact way it happens over there, but ideally take it to a trusted organization that is reliable and let them, you know, handle the annulment. If there's grounds for the annulment, they, will, they should, you know, analyze the case, speak to the wife, speak to the husband, look at if there's grounds. If there's grounds, they should give the annulment and destroy that, that act, meaning break the marriage apart um, as a third party um, and so forth. Allah knows best. Barakallahu feekum. May Allah bless us all. May Allah bless you all. Until next week, inshallah ta'ala, we will start Surah Thalatha. We officially start the three principles, fundamental principles of Islam. Um, if Allah spares us, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته